Hallelujah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, thank you so much for being with us today. I'm not going to share with you anything that is new today. Uh, I'm just going to remind you of things that you should never forget. Allow me just to take you for a few moments down memory lane. And I think it's important for us to remember our humble beginnings, how we started, where we came from, and how we got through all those tumultuous years, because that gives us a sense of stability. It gives us roots. This is my 34th year in full-time ministry, and I can't think of anything that else I want to do for the rest of my life. I love 100% what I'm doing, and I will not exchange it for anything else in the world. But I think that the role of the senior pastor is probably one of the most intense and difficult jobs there is on the planet. How in 34 years of ministry have I kept a semblance of sanity? That's what I want to question. That's the question I want to ask and answer as well. Did you know that when you become a pastor, you automatically become target practice? It's as though there's a bull's eye painted on the back of your shirt. And whatever you do, I've discovered you will be criticized. You preach too strong, you're legalistic. You preach too soft, you're a compromiser. You preach too loud and people will say, Pastor, we are not deaf. You preach too soft and people will complain they can't hear you. You buy a car and people will critique the car you buy. You don't buy a car and they will say the church is underpaying you. You go for a holiday and you're not spending enough time with the flock. You don't go for a holiday, pastor, you're overworking. No matter what you do, I've discovered people will criticize you. So you might as well be true to the Word of God and true to the ministry and do what is right in the eyes of God. Amen. I've heard I've heard, ladies and gentlemen, people say to me, Pastor, I wouldn't mind coming into full-time ministry, but I don't ever want to get betrayed. If you want everyone to like you, don't be a pastor. Go and sell ice cream. Do something else. Amen. Because you will be betrayed and abused and attacked and criticized and marginalized and stigmatized. And you will be terrorized as well by those who call themselves Christians. I was in the room with the pastors just a few moments ago and sharing them with them my testimony of how in the earlier years, I've had so many threats of violence against me. And, uh, you know, people coming with knives as well. And, you know, I was, I was terrorized uh, by, by violent people all the time. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, you're not just going to be betrayed or backstabbed. It's going to happen to you again and again and again. And if you don't know how to handle betrayal, hurt or violence, you will not survive because you are going to be constantly bombarded with uh, problems and surrounded by people who are often the cause of those problems. Amen. So how do I, have I coped uh, with all the pressure and all, with all the contradiction? Allow me to share my own experiences with you. I got saved in 1974, got filled with the Holy Spirit in 1980, which by the way was a game changer in my life. This is during the charismatic renewal. And the Lord called me into ministry in 1990. This is my 34th year in full-time ministry. I'm a first generation pastor. There was no one else in my family line before me who were in ministry. And my parents could have never imagined I would be doing what I'm doing today. I think my mom's vision for me in the earlier years was, Oh Lord, just save my son, Lord, just save my boy. In the second year of my ministry, uh, of university, I decided I was going to quit my studies and go into full-time ministry. I was so in love with Jesus, right? And I spoke to my mom and about it, and she said, Why don't you finish your university studies, and then if you want to go in full-time, I will not object. And the Lord says to me, I want you to listen to your mom, obey her. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, sometimes God can speak through your parents. Amen. 
I wish my kids were in the service today. Hallelujah. I, 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 so I finished my studies and worked six years in the secular world before God called me to quit my job. And when the Lord called me to embark on His journey, I can still remember vividly and precisely where it happened and how it happened. I was in a bus when the Word of the Lord came to me. It was very vivid and very powerful. And I remember it still, but it was a struggle for me to let go. I wish I could tell you that immediately I obeyed. No, sir. It was a struggle and the main issue was the issue of provision. At that time, I was married with two kids. Uh, I owned a landed property. This is what, way, I was 28, 29 years of age. And everything in my life was hunky-dory. God was blessing me. And the Lord spoke to me, I want you to quit your job. And so after several months of, of, of struggle, the Lord finally created a situation where He had to trust me out, egg borrowed me out of my job. I still had to make the decision to resign. Uh, it wasn't a decision I took lightly. But once I made up my mind, I was all in. Hallelujah. I was all in. I didn't even discuss this with my wife. She picked me up at the MRT station after work. And I said to my wife, I said, uh, Daphne, I just quit my job. She said to me, just one question. She said, did God speak to you? I said he did, and that was the only conversation we ever had on this issue 34 years later. It's never been raised before, all right? Now this is my 34th year in full-time ministry, and I can tell you without any fear of exaggeration that not once, not once, not once have I ever thought of quitting, right? The thought never dawned upon me. I don't know if you ever heard of the phrase all in. I think they were, they put the picture too quickly. <laughs> in the game of poker, all right, it refers to that one moment when a player, whether out of confidence, bravado, recklessness, desperation, he bets all his chips on one single hand. It's like do or die, all right? And I took that, when I took that bungee step of faith uh, 34 years ago to enter full-time ministry, for me, I was all in. I put all my eggs in one basket. And I recall that uh, uh, the first things, one of the first things I did after I left my job, I gathered all my books and all my notes and everything that could tie me to my secular employment, put them in a, a big a black trash bag, threw them away. And I, it was my way of saying to God, I have no plan B, Lord. I have no, if this doesn't work, I don't know what else I'm going to do. I was never going to go back to the secular world. I grit my teeth and make sure that no matter what happens, I would never look back because I put my hands to the plow and I will never look back and I want to be worthy of my Lord Jesus Christ. And I tell you this, my friends, I do not regret for one moment the life He has chosen for me. I didn't choose this life. It chose me. I didn't pursue the dream. The dream pursued me. And I tell you this, I choose Him with all my heart. I love what I'm doing in spite of all the pressure. And that's the secret ingredient. If there is a secret ingredient, is I love my job. Woo! Hallelujah. Now, one of the things uh, I said to the Lord at that time, this is uh, when, I, when I just resigned. I said, Lord, if you can show me, you can provide for me, I'll quit my job. And I'm, I remember the Lord speaking to me clearly in my spirit. He said, you quit your job. I'll show you I can provide for you. Now that's called faith. It's spelled R-I-S-K. Amen. There's always an element of risk involved in faith. I remember I quit my job and the next few days, uh, I was still in my office then. Uh, the phone rings. I pick up the phone. Senior vice president of a bank. He's on the line. He says, hey, I heard you quit. I said, yep. Yeah. He says, come and see me. I said, sure. So I'm at his office. We were overlooking the Marina Bay area. Beautiful plush uh, carpets and, uh, you know, beautiful office. 
And we were sitting down. He was talking to me. He said, Young, I like what you're doing. I said, you do? He said, yeah. He says, I'd like to help you. He said, you. I said, you do? He said, yep. And he gives me a piece of paper, something we call a check. Hallelujah. And I open it. It's $12,000. This is 1990 when 12000 was a lot of money. All right. I said a quick prayer to God. I said, Lord, if this is full time, I like it. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm on the MRT train. True story, I'm singing all the way back. There was a song in my heart, you know, it's just like bubbling with joy. And the song went something like this, Lord, you should have called me earlier. <laughs> I get in my office uh, back home and the phone rings, real estate developer on the line. He said, I heard you quit. I said, yep. He said, come and see me. I said, I'll be right there. He said, no, we'll do lunch tomorrow. Okay. So I'm at his office. There's this long conference table. He's on one side. I'm on one side. We're having lunch. And he, at the end of lunch, he said, you know, young, I like you. What you're doing? I said, you do. He said, yeah. And then he, I never forgot this. He takes an envelope out of his pocket and he slides it across the table. I said, what is this? He said, take a look. And now open it's $9,000 in the envelope, 6000 for the church and $3,000 uh, for, for me. And I, I didn't know this then, but... The, the man that did this had to go and get an overdraft to give the money to me. He said, and 15 years later, I saw him and he told me the story. And I, he said, because I believed in what God was doing in your life. He took an overdraft just to, I, I'm not suggesting anything here, right? I just, I just said, and sharing you a story. And uh, I'll tell you this, um, the Lord said to me right there and then, He said, if I call you, I will pay the bills. I'll provide for you. And the, all through the years of ministry, God has provided for me, my friends. I'm telling you, this has been the most amazing journey uh, that we've undertaken. And, um, and uh, whew, all right, all right, where am I? Okay, uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, you know, when I, when I was uh, working in the secular world, every 27th uh, of the month, I would take my ATM card, put it in the machine and the bank would credit my salary. If I can trust the bank to do that, how many of you know we can trust the Almighty God? Amen. His word is true. Uh, my first salary as a pastor when I first came into ministry was $800 a month. Following year, it went to $900 and then the following year, it went to $1,000 and then the $1,001. And the fifth year, I earned a princely sum of $1,200 and my rent was $1,005. Uh, this was 1995. How I survived in all those years, I'm not sure, but God came through for me and my family and there was never any lack. We did downgrade, sold our house because we didn't want to be a burden to anybody, uh, rented an apartment. We sold our club membership. We sold, I sold my stamp collection, which is not very much, by the way. Uh, my wife sold the jewelry that she got during uh, the wedding and we, we sold that jewelry and gold. Uh, we sold our furniture and all the things that we can, we can that, we, that was of value, we had to sell just to make ends meet. But I tell you this, God was faithful. There are times when you go through the testings, but that's just a part of the testings that will bring you to a, the land of fruitfulness and faithfulness. And my friends, there's not a single day that goes by, not a single day, 365 days a year. I've done this for many years. Every single day, I thank the Lord that He called me into full-time ministry. And I tell you this, the, uh, I'm so grateful. I guess once I made that decision that I was all in, it puts steel in your backbone. It puts fire in your belly. And I'll tell you this, I'm all until the day I drop dead and die. Amen. Woo! I'm in no mood of retirement. In fact, you don't find the word retirement in the Bible. You know, I, I'm all in... Um, I, I, don't, I don't think I'll ever, I, I will never retire. In fact, never, hallelujah. And uh, my role in this church will change at some point in time. But I want to do this for the rest of my life. Because once you realize that quitting is not an option, it produces something in you called resilience, hallelujah. Amen. 
You know, pastors are like lawyers. So we, we, don't, uh, we, don't, we don't retire. We just lose our appeal. Amen. <laughs> Resilience is the ability to roll with the punches. Uh, it's the ability to bounce back after you've been knocked down by an opponent. Boxes are trained, you know, to roll with the punches, to lessen the impact of the blow. And it's a skill that I believe every full-time ministry uh, minister have to learn. In ministry, you will get knocked down. There's always going to be someone stronger than you. And you've got to get up on your feet. And if you're still standing, it means Satan has not yet won. Hallelujah. So when you're going through the worst of experiences and circumstances in your life, you just have to dig in, grit your teeth, to bear with whatever comes your way because quitting just ain't an option. Amen. You got to stay in the storm till He delivers you out of it. You cannot try to save yourself. That's the only thing that you have to, when you're going through a trial, you've got to trust Him to bring you out of the trial. I've decided to follow Jesus. For me, that means no turning back. Amen. But I also want to make it very crystal clear to all of you that without His grace, I wouldn't be here today. Determination is not enough. Uh, willpower is not enough. Resilience is not enough. We need grace and His grace is divine energy that compensates for all my weaknesses and my lack in my life. Paul was knocked down three times by a messenger of Satan. He cried out three times uh, to God to re for this to be removed. And the Lord says to him, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is perfected in your weakness. To be an overcomer in life, you've got to know how to pray. Jo uh, Re Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, where Paul says and gives us the two key ingredients of being an overcomer. He says, if you want to be an overcomer in life, you've got to have the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. My friends, these two things will help you to overcome everything in life. Amen. If I can distill the two things that people re need right now, it is hope and peace. Corey Ten Boone said, if you, love, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at God, you will be at rest. Amen. My text for today is John 7, 14 and verse 27. My peace I live, leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world give, give I unto you. Do you know that it's ironic that the most definitive discourse on the subject of peace in all of the Bible comes from the Lord on the night that He was betrayed just before the crucifixion. Can you imagine all the pressure bearing down on him? Yet he was still able to impart this peace to his disciples. Come on. And that gives us a very different idea, a picture of what peace really is. His peace is not the kind of peace that the world gives. To the world, peace is an absence of conflict. Everywhere in the world, there's wars and fightings in the Gaza, in the Middle East, and there's all these conflicts. And the idea of peace is we don't want to have any war. That's not the biblical uh, concept or definition of peace. His peace is to be an ability to remain at rest even in the most stressful and difficult of circumstances. This kind of peace is not determined by its environment, but rather it rules in the midst of great turmoil. And and we need to know this peace, ladies and gentlemen, because the world is getting darker by the day and we need to be stronger than the world. Amen. In Jesus' great teaching that began from John chapter 13 all the way to John chapter 16, one of the greatest teachings in the Bible, His teachings led to a climax, a focal point, which was the virtue of peace. And He concluded His entire discourse in John 16 and verse 33, he said, These things I've spoken to you, that in me, in me, you may have peace. 
in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome this world. And this is where he's leading all of us to, to a place where peace will rule and reign in our hearts. And again, I want to emphasize his peace doesn't mean an absence of conflict. In other words, you are not exempted from trouble. Amen. As long as you're in this world, you will have trouble, but you do not need to be troubled. That is the Christian faith. Amen. Now in Leviticus chapter 21, I want to show you something uh, interesting here. It's a list of 10 things that a priest could, couldn't be or couldn't have if he was allowed to minister in the presence of God. It's not a matter of salvation. This is a matter of access. Do we have access into His presence? For example, if a priest was blind or lame or a hunchback or a eunuch, he could not enter the tabernacle. These are just some of the metaphors of present day realities. If you are spiritually blind, you can't minister to God. If you are spiritually lame, you don't have a walk with God, you can't minister. If you are a hunchback, in other words, you're not straight with God. You can't minister in His presence. It's not a matter of salvation again. It's a matter of access. Do you have presence, access to the presence of God? One of the conditions was a priest could not come into the presence of God if he had a scab. A scab. Now a scab is a wound that refuses to get healed. And if you don't deal with the thing that festers in your life, it could disqualify you from ministering to the Lord. And the Lord says, unless you allow me to heal you, unless you allow me to treat that wound, uh, I cannot permit you to come into my presence because if you do, then that unhealed wound can fester and it can infect a lot of Christians uh, with, uh, with, with, you know, the bitterness that, is out of a, that comes out of a scab. Is that correct? And we've got to be, be very careful, my friends, that you, a lot of Christians running around in the church with a lot of unhealed wounds and trying to minister to people. You can't heal people if you are not healed yourself. Amen. You've got to allow the Holy Ghost to heal those wounds in your life. What's the difference between a scar and a scab? A scar is a wound that has been healed. Amen. And when you look at your scar, a scar in your life, it's a reminder of the battles that you've gone through and have overcome. Amen. A scab is an unhealed wound. And if you don't get that healed, it will start to infect those around you. And the writer of the Hebrew says that a root of bitterness springing up defiles many. Forgiveness is basic 101 Christianity. If you can't forgive your brothers and sisters, if you can't forgive those who have hurt you, then your salvation is in question. Seriously? Yes, seriously. Forgiveness does not make the person right. It sets you free. Amen. My, my scripture reading this morning is taken from the Gospel of Luke where the, where the disciples came and asked him about forgiveness. And Jesus said, if, they, if a person sins against you seven times and seven times they come back on the same day and say, I'm sorry, then you've got to forgive them. That is a basic Christian attitude, forgiveness, amen. And if you cannot forgive, then you, your sins will not be forgiven you as well. And your salvation is called into question. And so we've got to learn to forgive, amen. And so Jesus said to Peter, 70 times, 7 times a day. That's 490 times. Listen, even your wife can hurt you 490 times a day. Defense of your wife. Yes, hallelujah. I think the worst pain in life is betrayal. Someone you love, someone you trusted, you know, and, and then, uh, and this happened to me on different occasions in my life, and each time the pain is very real. 
But remember, every time you feel a sense of betrayal, it's an invitation from the Father to draw you nearer. Uh, I told a story many years ago. Uh, it's worth repeating because of the in pain it inflicted upon my heart. I was, uh, a cornerstone was supporting a, a pastor in another country. For 10 years, we supported the man, paid his salary, took care of his uh, housing, took care of his children, uh, you know, education and everything. I mean, we were very generous towards that man, poured in a lot of money uh, to the man. And after 10 years, his church had only 30 people. So as the overseer, I had the right to say to the brother, brother, after all these 10 years of support and all I have is 30 people in the church, I'm not, listen, it's not a KPI for us, but you should, you should have done, that. The, your, your stewardship is now called into question, right? And you know what he said to me? He said, Pastor Young, the reason why I'm not successful is because I'm connected to a man like you. Wow. Wow. I'm telling you, it was like a knife that went in my heart. Pastor, did it hurt? What do you think? Of course it hurt. Of course it did. I was wounded by it. And I had to have days and every, you know, sometimes every morning I just wake up and God, give me grace to forgive. Give me grace to forgive. Now, you guys, I don't have to do that. You're very nice. You're very angelic, all right? But uh, some people, I have a lot of need, a lot of grace to forgive. Amen. But pain is good, right? You know, in your body, when you feel pain, it's just an indication that something is wrong and it needs to be checked up. Amen? So when you get pain, it's okay. It's the Holy Spirit indicating to you maybe something needs in your heart that needs to be healed. I love this story. I want to tell this, this amazing story. How many of you remember the Wimbledon champion, Arthur Ashe? A few of you do, right? Now he's, of course, he's gone, he's died. Uh, but he was one of the first, I think he was the first black man to win the Wimbledon uh, Cup. He was dying of AIDS. He was uh, in a, a surgery and they had a blood transfusion. The blood was tainted with the AIDS virus. They didn't know this then. And of course, he was tainted with this uh, uh, AIDS. And, uh, and during his illness, he received hundreds of thousands of letters from fans all around the world. Uh, you know, uh, showing him con consolation and support. And one of the letters said this, why did God have to select you for such a bad disease? To this, Arthur replied, he said, 50 million children play tennis, 5 million play well, 500,000 play in the professional uh, tennis, 50,000 people play in the professional circuit, 5,000 reach the Grand Slam, 50 reach the Wimbledon, four reach the semifinals, Two reached the finals, and when I was holding the cup in my hand, I never asked God, why me? So now that I'm in pain, how can I say to God, why me? Well, that puts things in perspective, let me just tell you. You might not be happy with the life that you have, my friends, but I can tell you this, there are millions of people right now who would exchange places with you at the drop of a hat. So don't complain. Stop complaining. Amen. Oh God, I'm so... And have a pity party. Rejoice in the Lord. A child on the farm sees a plane flying and he says, I wish I could be that pilot flying the aeroplane. The pilot in the plane looking at the farm says, I wish I could be a, a farmer again. That's life. You know, I heard an interesting story. This is not part of the message, but I heard a story from Lance Wallnow. It's really interesting. He was sharing about this. And he had a friend that was visiting him in his house and he was going to stay a few days, a real prophet of God. And then he forgot that he double booked and he had a meeting at some other 
uh, city and, um, and he had to keep his com uh, commitments and it was far away. He had to change a couple of flights and then drive and then, you know, it was a small group of people and he started complaining and murmuring, I don't want to go, I don't know why I accepted this invitation and, uh, and he was just negative about this and he said to his friend, I'm so sorry, I want to be here with you but I accepted this invitation. I'm so sorry, I can't be with you. The friend said, no, listen, I'm an adult, I can take care of myself. You go and have a good time, all right? So Lance goes for the meeting and this man is praying in the, in, the, in, in the house and he goes into Lance's office and God opened his eyes and he said this, I saw a group of angels right there in the room. He said, what are you doing here? You're supposed to be with Lance. And they said to him, because he complained so much about the meetings, we are not allowed to go with him in this journey. He's on his own. Oh, my friends, I'll tell you, that put the fear of God in me because tomorrow I'm traveling, hallelujah. I said, Lord, I, I want to be with my church here in Singapore, but I, I go anywhere you tell me to go, amen, just for a few days, right? But I want to have a good attitude wherever I go in the world, amen, because I want my guardian angels to go with me, come on. You know, sometimes you're complaining and murmuring, even your angels can't stand it. <laughs> don't, we don't want to go with you anymore. So as a believer, how would you respond when you feel wrong or attacked personally? I just give you a few keys and take this to a landing. Luke chapter 17, Jesus said to his disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come. I've discovered one of the ways that we overcome is to ask God for forgetfulness because forgiveness is rooted in forgetfulness. You know, if your wife or your spouse would, can remember things 30 years ago, you know, and every time you're, there's a quarrel and she'll bring up or he will bring up things, 25 years ago, 30, you remember 30 years ago you said this, they have not forgiven you. Amen. They have not, if they have forgiven you, they would have forgotten the thing. Amen. It would be scrubbed out of the records. I have no memory of it. I forgave you. It's finished. I will never bring it up again. Come on. And the ones that usually remind, remember all these things are the wives. Yes, that's true. You're going to get in trouble tonight, brother. I don't know who you are, but uh, you better... I have a spare room in my house. You better can. <laughs> Joseph went through a terrible betrayal at the hands of his own brothers. He was in prison for many years because he sought to hold on to his integrity. Then in one day in prison, God just delivered him out. And the next thing we know, he's the governor of all Egypt. Then he marries uh, the Pharaoh's daughter. She bore him two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh's name means forgetfulness. And when Manasseh was born, Joseph made this remark. He said, God made me to forget all my toil and all the pain of my father's house. All that pain, all that injustice, all that betrayal. God made Joseph to forget. And because he could forgive and forget the injustice that was done to him, God gave him another son, Ephraim, and his name means double fruitfulness. Ladies and gentlemen, if you can forgive and forget and move on with your life, I'm telling you, you are setting yourself up for the double blessings of God. Amen. Amen. Try it. Try it. Ask God to, to, today, whatever. Go into your room and get down on your knees and I want to encourage you to pray more on your knees, ladies and gentlemen. 
I want to encourage, try this. If you've never tried this before, read the Bible on your knees. Put the Bible on the couch, get down on your knees. If you have a little carpet, something like this, get down on your knees and read the Word. And I'll tell you, you'll glean so much more on your knees than you are sitting on. I'm, I'm serious. There's something about the posture that we take. One of the messages I'm going to be preaching in some, a few weeks later is the, the problem of respectability. Do you know that respectability is a sin in the Bible? Yeah. But every miracle that happened in the Bible happened when somebody fell at the, face of, at the feet of Jesus and said, God, have mercy on my son, have mercy on my daughter, have mercy on my servant. They just, in the multitude of people, they couldn't care less what people think. They fell down and they, they screamed, have mercy upon me, Lord. And they came back with a miracle. And the reason why so many of us don't see the miracles is because sometimes we, we have, we're so respectable because that's our Asian culture. You know, we have this shame culture. We want to be respectable and we don't know how to come down and fall on our knees here. I, I hope the day is going to come when, when, when we have worship and people will just run up to the front and prostrate themselves here before the Lord. Amen. And then you're going to get your miracle. Then you're going to get the, to see the powerful work of God in your life. Amen. So try it. Try holy forgetfulness. The second thing that's helped me is to, and again, don't let your minds run wild about this because I'm not thinking of anybody, all right? I'm just, this is just a principle that's in the Bible. There are some people that are called scaffolding. And scaffold is essential in the construction of a building. Without the scaffold, you can't construct the building. But once the building is up, you don't need the scaffolding any longer, all right? And it's removed. There are people that are scaffold. Uh, people that God will send. God will send to you, help you in the construction. And after they've done their work, they will say goodbye and go. And you must have a good spirit towards them because they're God's people, they're good people, but they're just not part of your finished product. Comprendo? And without them, you can't build a structure. Everybody needs to recognize scaffold, okay? The third thing is that if you're going through pain, focus on the real scars, those that were inflicted on him at Calvary. You're only here today because those nail-scarred hands refuse to let you go. I'm convinced that everyone who is in heaven is there because someone prayed for them. Someone didn't let them go. When you get to heaven, I promise you, you will find out very quickly the people who prayed for you to be saved. You wouldn't be saved unless someone travailed, someone prayed for you into the kingdom. It could be your mom, it could be your dad, it could be your parents, it could be a loved one, it could be a friend, but you are in heaven because someone prayed you into heaven. Your salvation is personal, but Christianity is communal, amen. So don't focus on the scars that the enemy has inflicted on you. Focus on the nail-scarred hand that refused to let you go and clung unto you even in the most difficult of situations. Amen. And finally, I will close with this story. Uh, it's a, it's a, a really a wonderful illustration of what biblical peace is. Many years ago, there was a wealthy man who sought for a painting that would best depict the picture of perfect peace. And not finding one, he announced a, a competition that he would reward the one who would win the prize. And many people from around the country brought their paintings that would try to best depict peace. Finally, the finalists this, uh, came to two top painting, paintings. And the first was a beautiful painting of a, a glassy uh, a leg and a crystal clear leg that was beside a grassy slope uh, under a beautiful evening sky and a flock of sheep, grace, undisturbed. 
And everybody thought, surely this is the winner. Boy, it's such a beautiful picture of peace uh, and a, a perfect picture of tranquility. And then the second painting was uncovered and the crowd gasped. It was a picture of a tumultuous waterfall. And I'll show you this right now. It's a picture of a tumultuous waterfall cascading down a rocky precipice. Stormy clouds threatened to explode with lightning and wind and thunder and rain. And in the midst of that chaos, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to see in this painting something you probably did not see. It's a picture of a little crack in a, a waterfall and a bird nesting and it's got its young ones around it. And, um, and she's totally undisturbed by the stormy surroundings that rested over the young, her, as, as she rested over her young. Her eyes were closed, the wings covering the young ones. That little bird re represents or manifested the peace that passes all and transcends all our earthly turmoil. That's the correct biblical picture of peace. The, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And I think that we've got to start. It, it doesn't mean when you say shalom to somebody, it doesn't mean I hope you don't get into any trouble. <laughs> it, it simply means I pray for God's best and highest for you. At the end of the service, go around to five other people. Don't talk English to them. Just say shalom. Amen. Shalom. Amen. You know, um, there are three different mindsets in the Bible. At some point, I would, I would like to talk about this. Paul talks about the barbaric mindset. He talks, and the ancient world was governed by a barbaric mindset. It was based on violence, and it was based on killings and maimings. And uh, much of the world in the days of Paul was really, uh, or the, in the days of old, in the Old Testament world, had a barbaric mindset. And Paul talked about this in the epistles. And then the Greeks came along, and all of a sudden, there was a different mindset that predominated the world, it was the Greek mindset. And the Greek mindset was a higher form of, of thinking, obviously, they were no longer barbarians, uh, you know, and now you, and our world is dominated by Greek mindset, so we got things like the Olympic Games, which is a Greek concept, democracy is a Greek concept, entertainment is a Greek concept, uh, so our world is very dominated by Greek concept, uh, and it's a higher form of mindset than a barbaric mindset. You know, when we see uh, a terrorist bombing and many people are being killed. What do we say? It's so barbaric, right? Uh, we, most of us here, we don't have a barbaric mindset because that's not how we think and that's not how we train. But many of us here today have a very strong Greek mindset. And, but there's a third mindset that God wants to introduce to you. It's a Hebraic mindset. It's a, it's a mind that's based on Scripture. So instead of Christmas and Easter, we should start thinking about the Feast of the Lord. Amen. Yeah, true. Right? But we, we are Gentiles, as Gentiles as can be. One lady came up to me one day, she said, I had a revelation. She said, 70% of all the Hokkien people are, are Jewish people. I said, you mad? You, are you mad? We're as Gentile as a Gentile can be. You know, and that's how I remember Galatians, Ephesians, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Gentiles eat pork chops, hallelujah. <laughs> so I, I like the idea of this Hebraic mindset. I like the idea of this, the Jewishness. But we are not Jews. You don't have to change your name to some Hezekiah or something like that, right? <laughs> don't have to wear Jewish things, amen. Don't go, please don't circumcise yourself, all right? But we are Gentiles, but we are grafted into a Jewish tree, amen. All right. Okay, last story. Are you guys ready for this final story? Jesus is in a boat. 
He's sleeping. He's tired. He's been ministering all day long. He's got a pillow. That The Bible is very interesting. It gives you all these little facts. He's got a pillow. He's sleeping. He's resting. The boat is in a turmoil. There's a storm. The storm was satanic. Satan was trying to drown Jesus in the Lake of Galilee. The disciples who were seasoned fishermen were very nervous. They never saw a storm like that. So they went down into the boat and shook Jesus up. They said, Lord, don't you care? We're in the middle of a storm. We're all perishing. Don't you care about us? And Brother Bailey told me a, a vision that a friend of his had of this, an open vision. And he, he was watching this in a vision and he said Jesus got up. He stretched himself and he got up to the boat and where the storm was raging, he points his finger at the storm and three little words, peace, be still. And he said the entire region of Galilee came to a whisper. The scream became a whisper and three little words from Jesus calmed the storm. Sometimes the Lord will allow us to go through the storm. Sometimes He will allow the storm to calm us in, in, in our hearts. Amen. But ladies and gentlemen, three little words from Jesus can accomplish more than all the hundred years of fighting and laboring and trying to quell the storm with our own strength. Listen, my friends, learn to trust the Lord. Amen. When the time comes for your deliverance, those three words will be uttered. Peace, be still. And God is going to calm the storms in your life. Let's all stand in the presence of God. I've got the band coming up. We're going to do an old song. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Amen. And we are going to, we are going to make that covenant and commitment again to our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm saying all this as a way of saying, ladies and gentlemen, I have decided I'm all in and I want you to be all in as well. I put my hands to the plow. You know, I, I have this thing about full-time ministry. I have such a high view of full-time ministry and I think that when people come into full-time ministry, they need to count the costs. They need to think this very carefully because once you're in, you're in. You're all in. Hallelujah. You know, when you said, I do in a marriage, in no matter how things are going, whether for better or for worse, when you say yes, you're all in. Totally committed. And you know, many marriages, they turn out, sometimes they go down south very quickly. But it doesn't change anything because you're all in and you're totally committed to the marriage. And no matter how difficult it is, I am never going to think of separation or divorce. That's out of the question. I'm out of the question. That's not even an option because I have decided I was all in. Amen. And the same thing that God wants you to have, this strong commitment to Him and say, God, I'm all in. I put my hands to the floor. I'm never going to look back, Lord. I've got a high view of full-time ministry, Lord, and I want to go all the way for Jesus. I'm going to ask Bob just to do a song and then we're going to pray. Hallelujah. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.